there is a movement sweeping across the land where fascination, understanding, transformation, and the story come to life. Read the story. Experience the Bible. Hey, first of all, thank you for taking time to be able to join me today as we can take just uh, a little bit of time together to kind of expand upon uh, chapter four of the story. If you've read it, fantastic. If you didn't read it, that's, that's okay too. We'll get you caught up today. Uh, you heard the title in Pastor Mark's sermon this morning, Deliverance, we're talking about, being able to be delivered. So keep that in mind as we walk through this today. Uh, please, at any point, stop me if you have a question. Uh, if you feel comfortable uh, asking that in the group, I'm sure somebody else probably has the same question. Let's get that answered. If it's a question you don't feel uh, comfortable asking in the group, just send me an email or give me a call this week. We can even address it uh, anonymously next week and bring it up a little bit too. Uh, just real quick for review, we'll meet for five weeks together then. I'm hoping you can meet all five weeks. If there's a reason you're out of town or something like that, we are recording them so you can see them uh, later on. So please try to keep up with us in that way. It'll be really simplistic. We'll just do one chapter a week out of the uh, story as we kind of follow along. We'll just go into a little bit more depth. Now, as I say that, we can only go into so much depth because of the time that we have. Even today with the story of Exodus, we could focus on just the first chapter and be in here the entire time on that chapter. We're going to try to progress through a little bit quicker than that, just so we can maybe get a few more nuggets of wisdom today and maybe learn just a couple of different things together. So with that in mind, um, today I will be reading out of the ESV version when we look at the scripture passages. Uh, there should be some different uh, Bibles there in front of you that should be the same um, translation. Or if anybody wants to use their phone, of course, that's fine too. And so we'll just uh, carry on as we go here. So let's go ahead and begin with an opening prayer today, and we'll get started. Please join me. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that you give us today uh, to be able to be involved in your word. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you will open up our ears to be able to hear you maybe a little differently or maybe a little clearer today. And Lord, we ask that you will just be in us to stimulate us. Uh, and upon hearing this word, that we will act differently because of what you have done through our Savior. In his name we come to you today. Amen. All right, so uh, today we'll do kind of a, a mixture of styles. I'll do probably a decent amount of uh, lecture, just being able to speak about some different things, but we'll also do some question and answer, either questions you have for me or maybe I have for the group to be able to open up. Uh, we'll dig into a couple different words today that I think are interesting as I went through the different scripture passages uh, and kind of look at those and hopefully kind of expand upon a few things. Remember, at any point today, uh, stop me and pause me if there's something that we want to get into a little bit more. But with that, let's just have a little overview on the book of Exodus. If you want to follow along with this handout today, I'll basically just go right down the line. I know some people like to take notes. Uh, feel free. You don't have to. This is completely yours to be able to take with you. Just hope you uh, can use this as a tool to be able to learn a little bit better. All right, so the author of the book of Exodus, most of us probably know, know this, uh, but sometimes it's good to start with these elementary items. If you don't know this, that's completely fine. 
uh, it might be difficult. The author today is Moses. Moses is the author, uh, traditionally, of the book of Exodus. And it's not just the book of Exodus. It's the first five books of uh, the Old Testament. Sometimes maybe you'll hear those uh, referred to as being the Torah, or sometimes uh, the Pentateuch basically refers to just the first five books. So everything that we look at today is uh, firsthand, if you will. This is Moses being able to share of his experience. Uh, the book is written right around uh, 1446 B.C. I know that's pretty specific, but uh, as you look chronologically into this book, uh, it's pretty specific of being able to narrow down this date that after all these different events occur, Moses authors this. Again, 1446 B.C. Now, when we start at the very beginning of the book of Exodus in chapter 1, verse 1, it starts many years before that, hundreds of years. It actually starts kind of with a recap of the story that comes before that in the book of Genesis. It talks about that a lot of the patriarchs have died, a lot of the leaders, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the people that we talk about when we refer to as patriarchs. A lot of the uh, original patriarchs in the book of Genesis have now died. Hundreds of years have gone by, and now this new story starts with the people of Israel. Um, if you think about that title, Exodus, uh, that gives us a, a clue as to where the book is going. In the original language, that word Exodus simply means departure. If you look at it in the original Greek, the word literally is departure. It's also translated as the road out. Those are the two different translations of Exodus, departure or the road out, which is very, very fitting for this book. The people of Israel who make this departure away from the Egyptians that take this road out on the way to the promised land. So let's look just briefly then at the main message and purpose of this book. Uh, God gives us all his different word for one main reason, to be able to make us wise to the plan of salvation. But even within the different books, there's always something interesting that we can learn. Uh, so let's look at our first verse today uh, from Exodus chapter 29, verse 46. Like I said, if you want to look these up, that would be fantastic. If you want to... Uh, See them on your phone? That's good, too. Exodus 29, verse 46. I'll go ahead and read this first one, and then uh, as we go down the line, if we want to take a couple volunteers, that would be great, too. All right, uh, the word says, And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. That's a key focus in the book of Exodus, that the Lord wants his people, and remember this is us too as his people, to know that he wants to dwell among us. It is common in our life at times for us to think about the Lord being far or the Lord not being right with us, but the key today we hear is that the Lord wants to dwell among us. Think about what that means for you that we are just these simple creatures of God. He is this all-powerful being, but his desire is actually to be with us, to be among us. This is how much that he loves us. And we see that over and over again 
again, in the book of Exodus and also in our lives. So let's start with the beginning of this story today then. Where are we at? From Exodus chapter 1, if you want to turn there, uh, we'll begin with verse 7 and seeing uh, basically the beginning of this story and where the people of Israel are at. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. And we hear these words. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This verse is actually the first verse, if you're reading the story, that's written in there in that chapter of deliverance. It talks about the people of Israel being uh, fruitful, that there are, are many of, of them. And this is the very, very beginning here. Uh, again, all the people uh, have passed away, and we're getting to this uh, new um, place within the lives of the, the Israelites. That promise that God gave originally to his people was that they were going to grow in numbers. Remember that? That your descendants are going to be like the sand of the shore or like the stars of the sky. We start just with Isaac, and it seems like that promise isn't going to come true. And now we hear there are multitudes of them. And if you're wondering what this number is, uh, it's estimated to be around 1 million to 3 million people or so, which at this point in the world's history is a lot. This is, this is a lot of people this early on in uh, the world's history. Today we might think of 1 to 3 million people not being this huge number, but this is, this is really, really big of how many are there. But unfortunately, this number of people poses a problem. Follow along with me on verses uh, 8 and 9. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Remember, Joseph raises really high in power in the household of Pharaoh. Joseph has been dead now for quite some time. The new kings that live now, they don't remember that story anymore. They don't remember this guy that helped them out, got them through the famine, anything like that. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. They're worried. A problem has occurred. The people that were their slaves are now people who are growing so much in number that it's making uh, the kingdom nervous because they know that out of their sure amount of numbers, they could overthrow them. They could take them, them over. Even think about who these people are. Now, they might not be uh, fed as well. Maybe their living conditions are not as good. But what are they doing all day? All these people are doing, they're working out all day long. They are physically having labor. They are, they are in good shape. A lot of the people of the kingdom, they're laying around all day. They're eating the, the bad foods. They're not taking care of themselves. And they're just uh, taking care of what they want to do for day by day. And they know, they come to a realization, that if the people of God want to raise up, especially if they partner with their enemies, they can easily overtake them. What are we going to do about this problem? Pharaoh says. So he comes up with a solution. It's a horrible solution, but it's the plan that he has. Uh, from chapter 1, verse 22... It says, then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. We think that we have bad 
problems with different issues in our world today, they're not new. They've always existed in different ways of people being able to go after others and after other people. This isn't even the first time that Pharaoh tries this, this early. Uh, if you look back just a few verses, his first try, actually he tells all of the women who are caretakers uh, or are uh, assistants during birth, that if a son is born for the Hebrews, to kill him right there. As soon as he is born, to kill him. Uh, they actually don't have the heart, some of them, to go through with this. Uh, they actually confess and say, the Hebrew women are too strong. They said they're having their babies before the midwives even arrive. They're just having them to make sure that they live. I think that's a neat piece there. But uh, they're just making sure that this is happening. And this would have been a big deal. Uh, we talk about childbirth today and things that can happen, the problems that could occur. Think about this point in history. All of the problems that could have occurred with childbirth. Many, many mothers are passing away at this time, are dying, just be, not of anything else, but because they're having a child. And that's why they have all these attendants that are there with them, to take care of them, to walk them through the procedure, to make sure mom is okay. But these mothers care for their children so much, they're not waiting for any of that help to arrive, because they know if they have a son, it's supposed to be put to death. So they are putting their own lives at risk to be able to save their own child. A neat testament to the Hebrew uh, women in the book of Exodus. So this is his plan. He moves forward. That plan doesn't work. The one we just read now in verse 22, he says, well, uh, let's just throw them in the river. That's what we're going to do for all these children. We're going to get rid of them. That's his solution. But it's in this moment that God provides a solution. Uh, I'm not going to go through the entire piece, but I provided a handout for you today, uh, stapled onto your piece there. It just says uh, Moses, a type of Christ. Uh, if you want to look at this briefly on your own later, I would encourage you. Uh, note, this isn't saying that Moses is the Christ or is a savior. It's Moses being compared uh, to Jesus in a lot of different ways. And it shows for us that God chooses his people to be able to save. Yes, it is Christ that gives us our eternal salvation in heaven. Here on this earth, though, the Lord also uses people just like you and me to be able to provide paths of salvation for people. Again, not eternally, but here on this earth to be able to rescue people, to be able to save people, to be able to provide for people. And so if you have a little bit of time, maybe this week in your devotion, check out a couple of these. Even if you don't look up the verses, read through them. It's super interesting, all the different comparisons that we have between Moses and between Christ. And we can do this with a lot of other different individuals within the story of Scripture itself. You see, this is God's solution. Not taking life and pushing forth a plan of death, but taking a plan, rather, and providing life itself of providing a way out and being able to provide some type of a savior. This is what God does in all the stories of scripture. He always takes something that seems like a horrible situation and he makes it into something that provides salvation for his people. Again, something important for us to remember today 
that in all the things that we face, God is still in control. He doesn't make those scenarios necessarily happen. He's not trying to make us have a tough or a hard life necessarily, but he is always there to dwell among us and to be able to provide for us. The people don't know God's plan yet. Moses has been born. He rises up through those ranks, but the people are still struggling. The people are still hurting. So let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through uh, 25 there. And we hear about uh, God listening to his people. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue, born from slavery, came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God remembers, it says, his promise with the people. Uh, I think this is a good point for clarification here. This is one section that we could do an entire Bible study on these few verses here. That God remembers his people and that God remembers his covenant. Don't think about this as that God had forgotten something or as God had misplaced something. This isn't God put his keys or his people in a certain place and he knew it was a safe place but he just forgot where they were and then one day he remembered them. No, he he has always remembered them. He has always been a part of this. Think about it in this way. Uh, A husband and wife have their anniversary coming up. The husband wakes up uh, the morning of his anniversary and says to himself, today is my anniversary. And he remembers. He goes through his whole day and he remembers the date and everything that's gone on. And he goes to the end of his day and he's getting ready for bed again. His wife's crying. What's wrong? Honey, what's wrong? Today is our anniversary and you didn't remember it. No, I remembered it as soon as I woke up this morning. We didn't do anything. You didn't say anything. No, but I remembered. I didn't forget. That's one form of remembering. Maybe way two. Husband wakes up. He remembers it's his anniversary. But in fact, he's already been planning. He's not making plans that morning when he remembers it. He's been making plans for days, weeks, maybe months. His wife doesn't even know that he had these plans in place. There's breakfast ready for her when she wakes up. There's flowers that are delivered to her office later. There's a nice present sitting on the counter next to dinner when she arrives home and a beautiful card saying how much that he loves her. He remembered, too. He just remembered in a way that's different. He remembered in a way that was active, that he did something about it. Both husbands remembered, but only one chose a path that actually had action behind it. If you look at this word remembered inside of the original text here in these verses, uh, the word is zakar. It's Z-A-K. 
Z-I-K-A-R. Zakar is the original word. And it means remembered in a way that is active. It's an active remembering, as I described with you with the second uh, fictional husband. Uh, being able to actually have something that you have in mind and you are planning for. This is what God is doing for his people. He has been planning for a long time. He knew these things were going to happen. And so when his people cry out in this moment, he is not, oh yeah, I forgot about them. No, he knows. He remembers. And I love how it goes on in there. Uh, verse 25, it says, God saw the people, people of Israel and God knew. He knew. He always has known these things. It wasn't an idea that just came to his mind. It was him caring for his people. What a great testament to us today about a God who always remembers us. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, no matter if it's a good day or a bad day in our mind, that God is always there with us. The story moves forward, and God has called uh, Moses, this person of uh, faith, to be able to be this leader. Remember the story? He's out tending the flock, and this burning bush shows up out of nowhere, but it's not consumed. Uh, Moses says, I'm going to go over there and see what this thing looks like. And so God begins to talk to Moses. Uh, this is chapter uh, 3 in the book of Exodus, the story of the burning bush. God calls Moses, but think about Moses' response. In all of these things, think about when someone says, if God just showed up in my life and did this miracle, then I would believe. If God would just show up and show himself, then the whole world would believe. God shows up today. He speaks audibly to Moses. He has this sign of the burning bush, and he calls him. What do you think Moses would believe? But he goes back and forth with God, does he not? In chapter 3, verse uh, 11, let's go to that for our first piece of Moses' interaction. It says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? What's Moses' first excuse? What was that? Not a good speaker is one of them. We haven't even gotten there yet. What does he say first? Who am I, right? I, who am I? I'm a guy that's out in the middle of the desert that's watching sheep. Like, that's who, that's who I am. I'm this guy that's out in the middle. Who am I, Lord, that I should even do this? Remember, he's seen God. He's hearing God, but he still has this denial. So let's go to excuse number two, uh, Exodus three thirteen. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? What is this excuse? It's pretty simple in there. What is he saying? He's almost making this up. What do, what do I tell them? You know, who should I tell them actually sent me? I don't know if they're going to know who you are, God. He almost pulls this one out of, out of thin air. Who should I tell them, you know, is, is sending me? And remember in all these excuses, 
God is always providing an answer. Let's go to excuse number three, uh, chapter four, verse one. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. What's his excuse now? Yeah, the people just won't believe. They're not going to believe that I talked to a bush that was on fire and it didn't burn. They're not going to believe that I talked to, talked to God. Don't send me, God. They're, they're not going to believe any of this. Excuse number four. Chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Here it is. You guys caught it. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, that I am slow of speech and of tongue. I just can't talk. I, I, can't, I can't do this. Maybe we shouldn't be so hard on Moses today, though, right? I mean, this excuse of not being able to talk... If you look at any uh, statistics on fear, I mean, what do people tell you is almost always number one, public speaking, right? They hate it. People today still, still hate this. Moses doesn't like it, and he says that he has this maybe physical problem too, the speech impediment maybe that gets him, and so he's nervous about that. I don't know. It's easy to look at all the different Moses' excuses and say, how could he do such a thing? At the same point, I think that all of us could probably look at ourselves and say we've probably made excuses like that to God, too. Telling that God that we're not going to share who he is or be able to confess who he is. We just don't have the right things to say. I don't have enough knowledge. And we forget. God gives Moses all these tools. You take his staff, throw it down, and it can become a snake. He can take his hand and put it in his cloak. When he pulls it out, it'll be filled with leprosy back in again and it'll be healed. You can scoop some water out of the Nile and you can pour it on the ground and it'll become blood and he equips him and he sends him out with all these different signs. He goes to Pharaoh and none of these things seem to work too well. And so then we enter into those chapters of the plagues. As Pastor Mark was describing this morning for us in church, we were talking about all those different major plagues come about. I put a little handout in there for you again, not going to go through all of that this morning because of our time, but if you just kind of look through this week, this I think is actually one of the neatest uh, revelations in the book of Exodus that we have to be able to look back on today. All of the different plagues that God sends with Moses to the people to be able to go and be pronounced upon them really counteract all of their different gods. Remember who all of their gods were at this time. A god of the sun or moon or different celestial bodies. Gods of the uh, Nile, of the river. Uh, gods of birth or of life. Uh, gods of all different animals of many different kinds. And in every one of these plagues God sends, it's almost a message in saying this God is much bigger than this God. This God is the one that's in control. This God is the one that can do all things. 
So maybe take a moment real quick this week and just look at these. Uh, just for a note there, number three says lice. Most of the time it's probably referred to as gnats, I think. Uh, it depends the translation that you look at. But all of these different plagues have a different god or multiple gods that they are battling against, that God is showing his supreme power over. Kind of a neat element for us to be able to uh, look at. He goes through all these different plagues, locusts, gnats, frogs, blood in the Nile, and it comes to that final one, the worst one, the one where it seems like almost everything began, right? Remember, Pharaoh has decided that he is going to put to death all of these male children, but what ends up happening is God circles it back around to show him who really is in charge. He gives everybody this opportunity to be able to get out of this. In fact, uh, God specifically says to his people that he's going to give them a sign. This is Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. God says the blood shall be a sign for you. Remember, he tells them to sacrifice uh, a pure lamb, unblemished lamb, uh, to be able to split it among households if they need it goes through all these different things. The blood shall be a sign for you. Put it on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God provides a sign. And notice who the sign is actually for. He says, I'm going to provide a sign for you. This isn't a sign that God needs so he can go by every single house and say, okay, let me see if this is the person or not. It's a sign for them. Just as our communion isn't a blessing for God, it's a blessing for us. It's a sign for us. And this is that neat intertwining and blessing of this Passover celebration that occurs for many, many generations that ends up at that last supper with Christ. Remember, he gathers his disciples together to be able to celebrate that time of Passover. And it's in that moment that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, that this is my body, this is my blood. This same story that God put into place many, many centuries ago. Why? Because God remembered. Just like that anniversary I was telling you about, that there's this surprise. God's been planning this surprise, if you will, of Jesus, this Savior to come forever. He knew this from the very beginning of all time. And he gives this to the people of Israel, to the Hebrews. He gives this to his disciples on that faithful night. And he gives it to us also today. The people of Israel, the Hebrews, are allowed to escape. They take that road out. It seems like they're being delivered. But then Pharaoh doesn't like the decision he's made. He decides he's going to go after them, and he does. The people are trapped at the river, at the Red Sea, and they don't know what to do. And this is, again, where God shows up. From Exodus chapter 14 verses 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be 
silent. Think of the difference in Moses here compared to Moses standing at the burning bush. At the burning bush, he can actually see what is happening, but he has excuse after excuse after excuse, even though it's right there in front of him. Today, he stands at the Red Sea. Nothing has happened yet. The Red Sea has not started to part, but he tells all of the people, millions of people, don't worry. God is going to show up. He is going to give you a sign. And I love his words there uh, in verse 14. He says, the Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Just stand there and, and watch. Know that your salvation isn't based upon your cries or your efforts, but it's based upon the things that God will do for you. Maybe some good elements there, he says to the people, and God says to us, fear not, stand firm, seek his will, and be silent. One more time, I love those. Fear not, stand firm, see his work, and be silent. And these are the same words that are true again for us today as God gives us this book of deliverance. Not just Exodus, but the entire Bible. The sea is split. The people walked through uh, from one side to the other. Almost this element, again, of foreshadowing of the baptism that you and I have to come. The river closes over all their enemies. They are swallowed up. Their problems are gone. Salvation has been given to them. They're so excited that they close by singing and by praising God. And so today, uh, in our final moments, I'm just going to read a piece of the song that Moses sings uh, for our closing prayer today. From chapter 15, verses 11 through 13. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, you stretched out your right hand and the earth and swallowed them. You have led your steadfast love of the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And God does the same for us today. Again, he guides us to that holy abode. Not a place we wait of the things and problems we face here on earth, but of that eternal home that waits for us. He'll part any waters that we have and needing to be able to get there so that we can pass through and sing that glorious praise with him in heaven one day. Let's wrap up for there today. Again, if you have any uh, questions, I know I was trying to move kind of fast today. Uh, send me an email this week. I do apologize. I need to go over because the service starts in like two minutes to the other side. So I can't stay and talk with you today. But like I said, if you want to talk with me uh, this week, give me a call, send me an email. Set up a time to come in and meet with me. I'd love to do this with you again. And we'll meet next week and uh, go over our next chapter. Same thing, chapter five. It's the only thing you've got to look over this week. Hey, thanks again for joining us. Remember, we have a whole bunch of content online that we would like you to be a part of and to share with your family and your friends. So make sure you click that subscribe button and like our content. Thanks.